Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Chronicles of Nannia, a nanny resource podcast made for nannies by me, a nanny. I am your host, Martha Reddick, and this week we are going to be talking about nannying all over the world. Uh, and to do that, I have brought on Stephanie Ojuku. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Martha. How's it going? Uh, it's going really well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yes, I, I, uh, Stephanie and I were kind of chatting beforehand though, and she mentioned that she's potty training right now. So my, my thoughts are with you. Yes, yes, lots <laughs> of wine. The house generally runs on a steady flow of wine and water, but especially these past two weeks. Yes, yes, it's, it's crucial and in these times of need. Um, so yeah, so, um, wonderful. Well, Stephanie emailed in to me uh, a, a story, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. A couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And, uh, and then I dug into your background a little and I was like, oh, please be on the podcast. This is great. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, I've been looking for someone to talk about nannying in, in different cultures and things like that. And, uh, and you're – your background is is fascinating. Which let's talk a little bit about that now. Uh, what what kicked off your your nanny career? Sure. So um, I was finishing up year ten in high school, and my guidance counselor at school. You know, when you so I'm I should say I'm Australian, <laughs> born and raised. But when you go from year 10 to year 11 and 12 in Australia, you have to meet with the guidance counselor and decide upon your subjects. And I was just really uneasy about what subjects to choose. And it was my mother, actually, um, who suggested, okay, well, why don't we look at some different options? And she found a a school in um, the capital of my state, Brisbane. and she really pushed me um, to go and take this course to to become a nanny. Um, we grew up, you know, with not a lot of means. And my mum felt that by nannying, I could travel the world and experience a different life um, and, and really see the world through other people's eyes. 
and and that's when I became a nanny. Um, yeah, that, that was like in two thousand and eight. So okay. that's yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And then you did. You have traveled the world. Yes, yes, I have. Um, <laughs> Which is I'm, so I live in Boston, Massachusetts right now, mm-hmm. um, but I, I nannied predominantly in, in Brisbane, um, Brisbane and Sydney, Australia, and as well as in Australia, also in uh, Tokyo, Japan, and traveled all over Southeast Asia and also did uh, a stint teaching ESL, English as a Second Language, in China for three years. Wow. Very impressive. Um, which, yeah, not quite nannying, but still working with kids. And what age did you teach English as a second language to? Sorry, they were three to six years. Okay. Um, the, the kindergarten and schooling system is a little bit different. And it was really cool because we got the children when they were three and we stayed with them Um through it, like through the program. Oh, that's great. So you got to really know s- some children very well. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's awesome. I love that. I um, do this summer camp in Virginia and I go back and, you know, see the same kids every year as they grow and it's just the best. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Nothing yeah. makes you feel older than <laughs> – going and meeting up with my previous nanny children that I nannied for when they were, you know, 15 months old and they're now 11. I know. Um, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. I am starting to experience that. Uh, And it it is. It makes you feel very old. Um, Well, wonderful. So you mentioned some of the places that you nannied, Brisbane and Sydney and Tokyo, um, and now you're in Boston, um, which is very exciting. Uh, but how did you find those jobs? So actually most all of my work has been through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned, I, I did a tra- uh, attend a training school in, in Australia. Uh, shout out to Charlton Brown. Yeah. Who, uh, <laughs> they're just awesome, awesome people. Um, and the whole idea behind it is to train um, early childhood providers in best practices methods. Mm-hmm. And so you have that foundation and they place you with a family to do like practical hands-on training and the family reports back to the, the, the organization and um, you know you, they assess your strengths and weaknesses and you really build upon that. Um, and then you get sent out into the world and, and to nanny. And so that first family was uh, a set of six-month-old twins. Oh, adorable. <laughs> I love twins. Oh, yes, yes. And actually, I think they may be just about my first and last set of twins. I think I've always had multiples, mm-hmm. um, but and generally specializing in my nanny work, um, newborns to sort of that three years old range. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, twins are a lot of fun, a lot of work, a lot of fun. (laughs) Yes, I can. Well, I I don't have to imagine. I've I've worked with them. (laughs) They are. (laughs) They're a lot of fun, but a lot of work. Um, So yeah, so then, so you got set up with a family in Australia. Was that in Brisbane? 
Yes, yes. So I, I uh, started nannying in Brisbane. Um, and, you know, now here in Boston, I nanny for the one family Monday to Friday for 40 hours. Um, oh, wow. But back then, yeah, right? Um, <laughs> but back then in, in Brisbane, um, it was it was a unique situation where I nannied for stay-at-home parents and work-from-home parents. And and so in any given week, I might have nannied for four families at a time. So I'd spend, you know, Monday and Tuesday with one family while mum went to work part-time. And then, you know, Wednesday would be split between two different families who just wanted to go hiking for the morning or in the afternoon, you know, they wanted to go grocery shopping without buckling their children in and out of the car <laughs> 56,000 times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I... I also, like in that time, um, really nannied for a lot of families who were content with keeping their children at home, um, which is understandable in terms of, uh, you know, I was only with the children for maybe two days a week. And so they didn't want, you know, me necessarily to be taking them too far from home but it really gave me a unique perspective, you know, working from limited resources, fine tuning those skills of what to do at home again today. Um, but it yeah. really made me as a nanny. So I'm really thankful for that time where I was, you know, confined to the home as a nanny. Yeah, for sure. That is, we, I am, my wheels are turning on an episode on that. Um, <laughs> but, think. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's so fascinating. Um, okay, so you have nannied and uh, taught in several different cultures. So what were some of the best things about each of the cultures that you were in? Sure. Um, so when I moved to Tokyo, it was with one of my clients that I had in Australia. They were moving on business and asked me to come and just help them settle in for a few months. And so my role there was to really find the parks and the playgrounds and the museums and the kid-friendly places to eat. And I'm not sure what it is like now, but when I was there in 2011, you could still smoke in a lot of restaurants in Tokyo. And mm. so... It was, you know, finding places where you could go to eat. Right. Uh, yeah, but but I loved this role because it took me all over the city and that meant that if I was ever looking lost, a <laughs> Japanese person would always approach me and, and ask, you know, is everything okay? And I couldn't understand them and they couldn't understand me, but that, like, outgoing friendliness mm -hmm. was just so nice to experience in Japan. Yeah, that is that's very impressive. I mean, I you know live in Chicago and it's a midwestern city, so it is it's more friendly than a lot of big cities. But that's even more than we would do, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I'm over on the the chilly northeast. <laughs> yes, it's not just chilly in terms of the weather. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 But um. You know, in, in China, something that's – I was in uh, a tiny rural city of about 4 million people, right? Tiny city. <laughs> right, yes, so small. <laughs> um, but 
China has this system where, and it's sort of an unspoken system whereby if you know the right person, you can get anything done. And so I remember trying to take uh, the children that I was teaching. So I had a class of like 25 students and taking them to the zoo and planning the logistics around that. And we just happened to know somebody and it meant that we could take like close the zoo down Whoa. and just have it to ourselves for the day. That's my dream. Isn't it awesome? Yeah, I did zoo camp as a kid and <laughs> it was the best, but we didn't even get the zoo closed down for us. We just got to hang out there all day for a week. It was it was a perk. Definitely. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so great. And what a great experience for those kids. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um that's awesome. Uh, what took you by surprise about uh, the cultures that you were in? Sure. Um, I think for China, the censorship is is really real. And, you know, I was there in 2011. And so, you know, social media, you know, we were, we were using it by then, right? Right. But there was no Facebook. There was no uh, Google. Like you couldn't do a Google search, right? Yeah, yeah. Did that make it hard uh, communicating with your friends and family back home? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and a lot of it was convincing my family back in Australia to download an extra app on their phone that <laughs> I could have in China that would allow us to communicate. But yeah. um, and just and just getting uh, like business wise things done. You know, if you needed to email back home for a transcript of something it was you know it was harder to do right right there are more blockades in your way that is that is surprising yeah um it's quite startling to be in china and uh to see you know a child 15 months old just doing their business in the middle of the sidewalk (laughs) but it's totally normal Wow. Um, it seems that toilet training starts at birth and they're, the children wear these split pants and they're literally a pair of pants with the the seam in the middle wide open. Wow. No, like, even, like, buttons or anything or, like... No, no, wow. no buttons, nothing. Interesting. So... I, I've definitely seen discussions around it on nanny boards and whether or not this is this is a normal thing or what's going on or that's disgusting, <laughs> but it's just totally normal. And, you know, I said I was teaching, uh, you know, three-year-olds in China. My entire class was fully potty trained. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, that, part of that sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think something that uh, I've definitely my eyes have been open to is this idea that uh, Chinese and more generally speaking Asian people uh, believe in keeping your body at the same temperature, um, so both internally and externally. So whether this means wearing five hundred layers of I'm being <laughs> right. But, they, they do tend to wear a lot of layers of clothes, both in the summer and the winter. Um, but it means that if they're eating something that's really, really hot or really, really spicy, they follow that with an ice cream. Oh. But 
they're not going to be like drinking cold water no matter how hot it is in summer and they're not going to just um you know go out and expose themselves in the middle of winter for for no reason um they really take keeping their body at you know room temperature really seriously but yeah. it's it's really interesting to to see that and understand that and then go and uh interact with um, Asian families looking for a nanny here in the U.S. and they're asking that their children eat warm meals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I totally understand why. You know, as right. frustrating as it may be when you're outdoors, you know, having a picnic, you know, you, you can accommodate for that and you can understand why that is. Yeah, that is – that's something that I never would have thought about. Um yeah. Because there's information I didn't know. But that's fascinating, yeah, to think about just different cultures do things differently. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I'm sure that um, families that do focus on that would have ways, you know, thermoses and things like that, ways to keep things warm on the go as well. Or could um, – Yeah. That's potentially no, something you can talk to them about. Absolutely. And, and most of the times, most of the families that, that have expressed this, they have the, the equipment and a lot of the times it's something that they've bought over from back home. And so, you know, in China, they wanted to be drinking hot water. And so every classroom has, um, has an insulated thermos that kept water hot all day that the children would drink. Uh, the lunch boxes that they carried were insulated so that, Food would stay hot throughout the day. Fascinating. Pretty cool. Shout out to Contigo Thermoses <gasps> because those keep my tea. Sometimes I make my tea the night before if I'm working really early in the morning and it's still warm the next morning. Sponsor me, Contigo, please. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but I do. I, I really enjoy their products because I – you know, as nannies, we need our caffeine. So, yes, yes. Not that I'm a caffeine drinker, I do confess, but I drink water a yeah. lot. Yeah, which is having, also very good. Water being kept hot or cold, mm-hmm. summer in the winter, very useful. Very useful, exactly. So, as you've you know moved around the world, you've had to adapt to new cultures basically and and learn things like they keep their temperature internally and externally the same which is so cool um so what what are some of your pieces of advice on adapting to a new culture so i think i'm thinking back on when i moved from australia to japan and then to china and that process was very quick. So I was a nanny in Australia for about five years before I moved to Japan. And I was there short term. All of my clients in Australia knew I was coming back. And I ended up going back, I think, in the February. And by the August, I had moved to China. So it was a Mm. very quick process. Um, And I applied to go to China, but I also applied, uh, you know, to cultural care or pair programs, um, to come to the U S and, and I should say also that as a nanny, um, working in a nanny capacity in America, the reason why I'm able to do this is because 
I married a U.S. citizen. It's mm. not a, um, a legal pathway into the U.S. to be a nanny, unfortunately. So gotcha. that's, that's, yeah, that's good to say because I would have no idea about that. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, and I met my now husband actually in China. So oh, great. China has lots of positives. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was, a, it was a really quick process. Um, I moved to China simply because off the back of my time in Japan, I was just so excited by everything that I was seeing and hearing and my senses were just going crazy. And I wanted that adventure. And so China was simply the first place that said, yes, we'll take you. And so I went. Yeah. I didn't speak any Chinese. I couldn't count ten. <laughs> um, I was moving to what's known as a, a second or third tier city. So there were no Starbucks. There was no like, I'm trying to like, I think there was a KFC and maybe a McDonald's. <laughs> like, that was you know, that was about it on the Western front. Maybe a subway because there are more yeah. subways in the world than Starbucks, which really surprised me, but that's, that's true. That's true. That's true. But bread isn't so big in China, mm, at, least, at least Western bread like that. So I, I don't actually know if I've even seen a subway in China. Huh. I guess their numbers do not really come from China. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> Sidetrack. Sorry. Um, no, that's all right. I didn't speak any of the words, couldn't count. And I just went and I went with an open heart and I went with an open mind. And I think that's the best advice that I can give when trying to adapt to a new culture is just to, you know, say yes to getting on the bus and riding it to see where it goes. Um, saying yes to to going out to dinner with some people you just met who they can only speak 10 words of English and you just you just say yes you just go and do it and and you have a great time um taking any ideas about what is right or what's wrong out of your mind and just approaching things as different um you know kids peeing in the street for example it's just different but instead of right or wrong it's you know, if you can see yeah. it that way, that's much more helpful. Yeah, and that sense of curiosity, which is something that I love about our job, is that it, for me, anyway, it keeps that sense of curiosity because as you're interacting with kids, they're just seeing the world so differently and, you know, for the first time. And, um, and yeah, it's just trying to look at it through that lens of, oh, I wonder what's going on here. Yeah, and it doesn't matter how many two-year-olds you've nannied for, you'll go to work one day and they'll be like, oh, I saw this thing and this is what I think about it. And nobody else that you've nannied for has, has approached it or seen it that way. Yeah, and it's so it's so special and that sticks with you. So I love that idea of of really, I mean, one, practicing bravery, which, you know, we work with our kids on all the time, but sometimes we forget to do it ourselves so I applaud you for <laughs> for just saying yes to things that's that's a it's a um I think a hard way to live uh when you're in your head about it but yeah if you approach it with your heart I think that that's a really wonderful way to live 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and I, I also think that's a great reminder of ways that we can do that without, you know, necessarily traveling to another culture that we can do that within our own communities of finding things that are different from our normal and, uh, you know, quote unquote normal, and then just approaching them with curiosity and an open heart, uh, would I think I think we would be a lot better off if we if we all did that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um so you mentioned that you didn't speak any Chinese. I assume you also don't speak very much Japanese. Um You would and, be correct. Yeah, yeah, great. Um and so so how about how about that language gap? I spent a month in France and it was hard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely when I was in Japan, I would just be gesticulating wildly um, and sort of asking for help and grocery shopping um, oh, without gosh. knowing the language. And, you know, I was I was there. I was living in it. We needed groceries. You know, it wasn't like you could just travel. It's, it's not like traveling and being able to go out for dinner for every meal. Right. Um, and so you're in the grocery store and you don't recognize any of the words because not only are they not, uh, you know, ABC, they're symbols that you you don't recognize at all. Right. Uh, and you just had to – so grocery shopping especially, you just had to, like, pull yourself together and not be overwhelmed. Um, of course, you know, as I mentioned, I was in – you know, suburban, rural China. And so I would be in the grocery store and I'm sure I was the first white female in that grocery store and everybody, you know, stared at me like I was a freak. (laughs) But by the second year, people were used to it. (laughs) Took them a whole year, huh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, But I think not knowing the language, um, for me personally, to learn a language, I have to sit down and study it. And I didn't dedicate my time to sit down and study it. Right. Um, that said, I think having a few key phrases, no matter where you are in the world, goes a long way. Just being able to to smile and say thank you in a tongue that, you know, the person you're talking to understands, you know, that, that that's that's at times enough. Yeah, yeah. I I I completely agree. Um when I've been in even like Germany where everyone's English and Germany is so good. Um but if I, you know, thanked them in their language, people would immediately warm to you in a way that they even though they could understand you perfectly well in English, going out right. of your way a little bit goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And there there are tons of children's books that, you know, just have those key few key phrases. Um, so, you know, you can sit with your nanny kid and, and say them together. And then when you're out in public, say them together. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you're being brave, they're being brave. It's, it's something that you're doing together. Yes. Oh, and that modeling is so good. Um, and if you're ever nannying or babysitting – a child that speaks multiple languages, if you read a book 
and so I babysat for a German child and I she handed me one of her German books and I just tried to sound it out and wow she had so much fun laughing at me you know I mean we made it silly it became a game between us but um she she was just like that's so wrong and I was like I know (laughs) but I'm here I'm trying but I'm trying and I was like why don't you teach why don't you read one of these pages (laughs) and try to teach me and then maybe maybe after I've babysat for you Many, many years, I'll get this one book down. Yeah. But yeah, that is, that's, that's so fascinating. Um, did you have moments of, of longing to hear your language? I mean, you were with a family in Japan. You were, you were with an Australian family. Yes. Um, so I should say that the family I was with in Japan, they're an American Australian couple. Mm-hmm. Um, mom, who's American, had lived in Australia for many years. Um, and so, you know, in the home, we, we spoke English. Um, that was that was always the first language. Um, in the classroom in China as well, English was the first language. E- eventually, you kind of pick up on some things because you want to be always having that positive uh, you know, just radiating that positivity. And so if a child's trying to tell you something and you don't understand what they're saying, um, you know, that can that can lead to, to tension or friction and then they're getting upset and they just wanted water and you didn't know and you didn't understand that. And all of a sudden now you understand the word for water and the child can go and drink water and everyone's happy again. Right. <laughs> yes, that that makes a big difference. Um, what about you though? Did you, were you able to find, um, people to speak with you and, and talk about, you know, the, your, your feelings and do that kind of self care? Yeah, I think, you know, there's definitely something to be said for finding a good friend who you do share language and hopefully like the same language and the same culture with, um, it's especially helpful because you're both probably going or have gone through the same thing being in that, that same space. Um, although I would say to, to not fall into the trap of just getting together to commiserate about the place that you're in, because it's very easy. Um, you know, there are a lot of challenges with living in a different or a new place and you don't want to, you know, just get together and, and be negative about where you are and what you're doing. So, right. Yeah. And, and potentially using that time together to, to problem solve or to share things that have worked. Um, and then also to do f- other just fun stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. One of, uh, while I didn't make so many good Australian friends while I was in either Japan or, or China. Um, you know, I have two very good Polish girlfriends who I was just in Rome with like two weeks ago. Uh, and, you know, we all arrived into the city at the same time and, you know, they had spoken, you know, European union. So they speak five different languages anyway. Right. But, um, you know, we were both coming into China at the same time. And so we were going through a lot of the same things and just being able to 
to get together and, and you know admittedly they were speaking English which is not their their mother language um but they you know they both spoke English very well and so you know those are the two really good friends I have have coming out of China yeah yeah and then your husband oh right yes him too right <laughs> yeah 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 um but yeah that's that's exciting I I will mention that um my husband and I, while we did meet in China, his last month in China was my first month in China. Gotcha. Gotcha. So we didn't have as much time in country together, um, you know, as, you know, we now have outside of outside and, and together here in the U.S. Right. That makes total sense. But yes, uh, that's great. Um Okay, so how did the expectations of you as a nanny shift as you moved to new places? Sure. So I think Australia, and this is just generally speaking across the board, but the work-life balance um, is a little bit better in Australia than what it is in the U.S., and that definitely shows in a lot of family dynamics. So, you know, often, you know, I'll come to work on a Monday and the children will be full of stories of what they did on the weekends because, you know, the parents are given that time to really, you know, unplug and uncheck from work and, um, you know, dedicate that time to their children. Right. Most children are also taught to swim. We take two things pretty seriously, and that's uh, <laughs> sun safety and water safety in Australia. Yeah. So I was, you know, in the pool multiple times a week, you know, at swim lessons with my children. They learn from about six months of age, mm-hmm. um, and it's widely encouraged from the pediatrician to, um, you know, sun safety councils of Australia to, you know, uh, surf life saving councils of Australia. So. You know, I was I was in the pool all the time and I felt like, you know, my little one that I'm nannying for, I nanny for a one and a half and a two and a half year old. And it's only this year um, that I'm in the pool with a two and a half year old at swimming lessons. And I really had to convince the parents, you know, that it was a good idea. Right. Yeah, that is that's so interesting. Um, yeah, I I was in the water. I was a little water bug from a very early age but that's also different I think in Tennessee than you know in Boston where it's colder because we just had so many pools that could be open so long because it's warm (laughs) yeah absolutely um the being able to be outside all year round and especially you know I was in Brisbane so we're talking the northeast Queensland coast and while I was in Sydney as well predominantly I was in Brisbane and so it's sunshine year round and again sun safety so generally you're not meant to be outside between like 11 and 3 like the warmest part of the day and you're definitely not going out there without a hat and um and sunscreen and you know I'm I'm here and we're just starting to get into play dates in in Boston and I'm making my my nanny children wear hats and and I'm looking around and nobody else is wearing a hat and I'm like <laughs> oh guys Oh, I'm sorry, but yeah, we need to wear a hat. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, that's a big difference. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In China, um, and Japan too a little bit, um, it's interesting how uh, praise is given. And mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, I, I was in a classroom setting in, in China, but what, from what I observed and, and began to practice myself was that you would oftentimes single out a child and almost, you know, for their, for their behavior um, that was excellent you would, you know, put them on a pedestal and like parade them around in front of the class and the other children would have that motivation to, to, you know, reach new heights, which doesn't sound great, but it worked. Um, and it was just how things were done, I guess. But also um, nonverbal praise is, is really big in, in a lot of Asian cultures. Huh. And so Something that I, I noticed was that parents and children, uh, sorry, parents and teachers, they would, with an open uh, palm, like caress the side of a child's face and, you know, sort of like a cat, you know, stroke their ear, stroke their cheek. And this was like such high praise. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially when, you know, I'm interacting with my nanny children here in America and, will be eating lunch and I'm, you know, giving them the thumbs up instead of verbally praising them. But my nanny children are, you know, are used to this and they know this. And, and when I do this, their eyes light up and they know that they're, you know, doing what they need to do. It's also extremely helpful when you're in a situation where children need to be quiet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think I've talked on the podcast before, but, um, but my stepdad uh, is fluent in sign language. So I grew up, like, he and I developed, you know, this sort of shorthand sign language. And I do that with my nanny kids now, too, where, you know, the older one will be, you know, on a different side of the park. And he and I can almost have an entire conversation of, like, how are you doing? Are you, or we're leaving in about 10 minutes or, you know, whatever, without – me yep. having to say a word, which is great. It's really <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, it's like a secret language almost too, which mm -hmm. makes it cool between you and the child, right? Yes. And man, as they get older, it's so important to have those cool things because they yeah. start going away. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then how about um, like how you're treated as a nanny in different cultures? Is there is there a different um, way – that you're treated? Um, I think across the globe, um, the help, if you will, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the stereotypes and, and how you're seen is generally the same, which is not to say it's not awesome and it's not positive, but it's like, oh, okay, this is what you do. And I don't quite fully understand what it is you do. So I'm just gonna like, let's move along. Right. That said, of course, you as a nanny, and, and especially because most of my clients came from referral, it was, you know, my reputation. And of course, I went through that young and dumb stage of being a nanny where I didn't know my worth. Um, I wasn't being compensated fairly for the work that I was doing. But as you mature in the industry, you learn what is and isn't, uh, you know, acceptable in the community that you're in. Um a lot of it has to do with the the social class of the family that you're in. 
Um, as I said, I was nannying, you know, two days here, three days there. And so the needs of those families were varied wildly. Right, um, yeah. And they really sought out a nanny because that was the kind of care that was really important to them. Um, the, that they only needed somebody two days a week meant, you know, X, Y, or Z for their budgets. Yeah, that uh, that patchwork uh, schedule is so rough. Yes, yes. Um, But especially especially because, you know, industry standards are, it's it's the term we use, right, to to say, well, no, actually, guaranteed hours are what I need to survive. And, you know, this is my full-time job. It's my career. It's what I make a living out of. Um, And so these are the things that I need. And, you know, being able to be confident in your skills and your ability so that, you know, you have a foot to stand on when you when you do ask for X, Y or Z. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So when you arrived uh, in a new to you place, what were some of your your first steps to become acclimated. So like get off the plane. What did you do? Sure. Um, getting a SIM card. Number one <laughs> yes. in Asia, it's super easy to do. Um, any seven 11 or seven 11, seven 11 equivalent will have a SIM card. Um, and you know, you get to where you're staying and put your bags down. I think taking how you deal with, jet lag into consideration is is a big thing some people deal really well some people know how they manage it and and setting that expectation for the family you're you're with is is good because maybe you arrive at you know five o'clock in the afternoon and they immediately want to take you out for dinner and you're like "Ah, i need to sleep right yes (laughs) but to to acclimate i i love to walk the neighborhood um and just just walk everywhere um if the, the country allows, you know, social media and Facebook connecting, updating the city that you're in so that when you do meet your future husband in a cafe, you can spam them with a, a friend request. Yes. <laughs> uh, That's great. um I'm I love to read and so um I found a book club, you know, here in Boston um and then clothing just being prepared to dress accordingly not necessarily to fit in but according to climate and culture um so you know in the winter months in china you can definitely wear a long sleeve shirt and a coat but be prepared for every chinese person you meet that day to ask you why you're not wearing more clothes (laughs) right yes yes that's a um, very good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, aside from that, it's all about, you know, A for attitude. You you chose to come to this place. You And it doesn't necessarily, I should say that all of this doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, from moving from country to country. You know, living on the, you know, northeast coast of America is so different from living in, you know, Louisiana in the U.S. Right. So, so, you know, if you're if you're choosing to go somewhere and, and that's what you're doing, just be in it and, um, you know, learn to love the place because you might just find something that is actually lovable about it. 
Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's such a good point. And, you know, they've done all these studies about neurons in your brain and that the connections between those neurons get made the more you think about something. So if you focus on only the negative, then you're going to continue to spiral downwards. But if you focus on the positive, you will spiral upwards. <laughs> Absolutely. Which makes a big difference. Um. What do you miss about each place? Because I, I can only imagine, you know, that now you've, you have these roots put down in so many different places. Yeah, I, I definitely miss the weather in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss my Australian accent. Uh, to be understood is, is something else. Um, and so... Even though America is an English-speaking nation, it's 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 a different form of English. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be understood, you over-enunciate, you, you really uh, take on certain words, certain uh, uh, colloquial sayings. And I, I, do, I do miss just being able to say something and for people to know what I'm talking about, even though I'm using the same language. Yes, I... I uh, studied abroad in Canterbury, England, and I I know that feeling. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, And otherwise, hands down, the food, just the food in Japan is amazing as it is in China. And when I lived in in Southeast Asia, I also traveled in Southeast Asia. And so sometimes you know what it is. Sometimes you don't know what it is. (laughs) Just eat it. If you don't like it, move on. But guaranteed you'll find something that you didn't know even existed that you love. Oh, food is so good the world over. Yeah, yeah. And then did you, like, learn anything about, you know, how lives are run in different countries? Yeah, Japan is so organized and squeaky clean. Um, Everything has a system. Everything runs on time. Um, China is quite the opposite. Um, A little bit more dirty, a little bit more messy. The ability to be very flexible is definitely going to to play well. And, and of course, both have their pros and cons. Right, yeah. That that is, that's very interesting. Uh, I'm now thinking about which one I would do better in. Um. It's so interesting. I have quite the type A personality. That said, I probably thrived more in China because it forced me to to hone some skills that I didn't necessarily have. That's exactly what I was thinking would happen for me because I think I would feel maybe more at home in Japan because I also have a type A personality, but then – you feel so useful. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're like, oh, I can help organize this. This little like the zoo trip, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um so yeah, so you were working with kids uh in all these different places. So how did you navigate a country with kids that you weren't as familiar with? Because you know, that ups the ante a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely think snacks play a large role. Mm-hmm. So when you've taken the wrong bus somewhere, 
you're able to calm everybody and win everybody over by making sure they have a full stomach. Um, just makes life a lot easier. But, you know, children the world over, they're just the best. <laughs> yes. You, you smile at them, you get down on their level, you play a game, you sing a song, you know, you read a book, even, you know, if it's not in the right language, even if you try to read it in their language, you know, children are going to be right there with you, mm-hmm. warming to you, learning about you, that level of curiosity that they have is, is, you know, going to be piqued by your, you know, you just being there. Um, the kids that I was working with in Japan, they did have uh, a kindergarten program that they attended. And so they were picking up the language and, and feeling more comfortable. And so if there are things that you can do, you know, a class that you can take um, with your children when you are in a different city or, or in, you know, acclimating, moving to a new place, you know, helping the children to feel more comfortable. I think that really helps them as well. Yeah, for sure. I would, I would completely agree with that. Um, and then the families that you were working with, did they offer a lot of support or was it more trial by fire? The family in Japan, especially, you know, I had traveled extensively, um, in Australia with them before going to Japan. Um, so they were, they were great. But definitely probably more trial by fire. Mm-hmm. Um, any language courses that I took, I had to find and attend and get to and from myself. Um, the nanny family I, I was working with in, in Tokyo were members of of this very prestigious club. And, and it was nice to take refuge there with the children. They were a great resource in, in terms of, you know, if we wanted to take a trip or um, if we were looking for something really specific, the the club was great in helping out. But without the kids, the club was a totally different story. Mm. Um, and it's often a challenge, I think, nannies face when not only when they're traveling with their nanny family, but um, I know a lot of live-in nannies face this challenge where, you know, maybe the nanny family signs up to a gym and they say, oh, it's so great. It has all these amazing facilities. You should join up too. And the nanny goes and checks it out. And it's like a quarter or a half of their income. <laughs> and yes. that, that disconnect, um, you know, it's, I think that's really challenging. Yeah. Yeah, that is. That is very challenging. I would, I would also say, and I mentioned a little bit on the, the linguistics, but... Um, words are different. Um, and so I'm talking to my nanny family about packing the nappy bag and getting the pacifier. And I'm, I'm, uh, you know, switching between what's an American word, you know, a pacifier is what we call them in America. In Australia, it's a dummy. A, a nappy is a diaper. A pram is a stroller. Um, calling my, my Chinese children in the classroom, you know, mates. It's, right. it's fine, but it's kind of, it's weird. Too. Right. So just, uh, just getting them, getting the nanny families, uh, used to you, um, you know, working as a nanny, it's all about that fit with the family. Right. But understanding the family that you are working for, maybe they prefer a yes answer or maybe they're okay with, yeah, no worries. Yes. Maybe, um, yeah, so, that's a that's a really good point that I hadn't I hadn't thought of because yeah, the 
there is this formal, you know, formal versus informal and that how that plays culturally yes. into it. But I mean, I love uh, different cultural words like nappy. <laughs> I would love that. That would just make me so happy. Yes. Yes. Um, well, yeah. So, so do you have advice for a nanny who's moving for her job to a new country or like we mentioned before to a, a part of a country that is very different? Yeah. Um, I would say most importantly to give yourself a time frame. you know, you may be signing a 12 month contract, but really, commit yourself to being there for, you know, three to six months. And that means that, you know, if you're having a really rough first month, you're able to see, you know, okay, look, I said I would stay for three months at least, you know, and this is a conversation you're having with, you know, yourself and your friends and not necessarily with the family you're working for, right? Right. But, you know, if you're having a really rough first month to be able to say, oh, I only have, you know, two more months, let's, you know, see how it goes and just really commit to, to a time frame. Um, to trust your gut, absolutely, um, and to just do as much due diligence you can on the nanny family you're working for, um, whether that's you know skyping and chatting with them at different times of day. Um, definitely having an ironclad contract. Oh yes, because nothing would be worse than moving somewhere and then being absolutely. out of yep. a job. Yeah, yeah. And and like that said, you should definitely, you know, the internet is your friend here. Um, you know, Google map the family's house and neighborhood, look them look the parents up on on LinkedIn. Um, you know, if you have Facebook, you know, ask to see their profile and just, you know, be friends for a week and then, you know, go back to not being friends. Um but sometimes when you you travel internationally, you have to uh, fill out, you know, where you're staying. And so always having the family's contact information written down on a piece of paper so you can copy it onto the customs form. Mm. Um, super helpful. Make sure somebody back home has a copy of, you know, your passport, your driver's license. Um, make sure they have a copy of the address that you're staying at. Um, and beyond that, to really just have enough money to get back home Mm. Uh, you know you may you may have some really great hopes but it may just not be a great fit for whatever reason something may happen back home um you know you may you may just need to get on a plane um so to always have enough money to be able to do so yes that is very good advice um and speaking of, did did you get homesick at any point? And and what's your advice for how to combat that? Sure. Um, so up until moving to the U.S. and I moved here in 2015, I was traveling home just about every year. Um, I haven't been back since 2015. Wow. So on one hand, the longer you are in a place, the easier it becomes um, and you know, the less homesick you are, um, for me personally, it definitely comes in waves. 
Um, and so I think having things on the horizon, whether it's, you know, a trip planned back home for, you know, eight months in advance or even just, you know, day trips, um, you know, in, in your local state, like in your state, I, I think is really helpful as well. Um, yeah. Reading, reading books in your own language, I think is also really helpful. I, again, you know, if there's something that you do really enjoy doing, you know, being able to, to find a group to do that with in your own language, I think is really helpful. Yeah, I also would add to that movies and or TV yeah. shows, um, you know, and if you speak English, that's going to be a lot easier probably because the majority of um, – not the majority of media. I don't know why I'm saying that, but <laughs> I mean that's personally true for me, but I was like, wait, other countries make a ton of stuff. So I take that back. Um, that was my – blindness cultural sure. blindness um but yeah like when I was in France for a month I found this English bookstore slash movie store like they rented out VHS tapes I don't know some nannies out there might not even know what that is um yeah and <laughs> I got four movies they were junior where Arnold Schwarzenegger gets pregnant sure. um the Three Musketeers, uh, Mr. Bean, one of the Mr. Bean, like, <laughs> movies. Uh, not the Mr. Bean movies, but, like, the mashup of a bunch of different little scenelets. Sure. And Dave. And I watched those things oh. over and over. And none of those are, like, particularly great movies. <laughs> but I watched them so often because I missed hearing so English. And, like, those pop culture references, too, I think, make you feel at home. Yeah. And I would think podcasts would be – because they're free for the most part. And so that would be a good way to hear your own language. Yes. Yes. Um, I also throw an Australia Day party um, every year, which is, you know, your 4th of July. Right. So we celebrate um, our independence. It's not the same. I don't want to say that. Um, what day does that fall on? January 26th. Okay. Awesome. So, so we celebrate, um, here in Boston with, with friends and a, and a good old fashioned Australian film and some food. So, and, and invite all of our American friends. Yeah. And that's a really good point of also keeping in mind that, that you can share your culture, yeah. you know, with, with the culture that you're in, um, because I think most people around the world are, are also curious about other cultures. So keeping in mind that you also have gifts to give. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, if, I, if I'm ever in the Boston area in January. You can come for sure. I would love to come. That would sound so exciting. I was just at a wedding. My cousin just married an Australian man. So... Okay. It's been uh, a weekend of of celebrating Australia, which is great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and then, and then, are there any resources that were particularly helpful to you as you journeyed around the world? Uh, so definitely my very helpful, friendly husband. Um, mm-hmm. Although he wasn't on the scene until you know China, but. You know, aside from the right mindset, 
you know, there's Facebook groups, Nanny or otherwise. Um, there's thousands of blogs on every city, um, you know, taking up hobbies in new place that aren't necessarily related to the new place. Um, you know, I learned to crochet in China. Um, I, I suddenly decided to participate in a triathlon. Um, nice. Get it, girl. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, just just getting out there, saying yes. Um, but but otherwise, just just going. Yeah, yeah. And I I do I I think your attitude of um, saying yes and approaching things with an open heart is is really what has shown for me throughout this interview is, and I, I think that has served you well. And I think that anyone listening who's thinking about moving or anything like that, that that's probably the biggest takeaway is say yes to things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, none of this isn't to say that, it, you know, I didn't have bad days and that it wasn't ever hard because it absolutely was. Um, right. But yes. You know, if if you are nannying somewhere and you're moving to somewhere in Southeast Asia, chances are that that I visited. Um, you know, feel free. I'm sure Martha will have my details, so feel free to reach out if you're ever going to go and teach ESL somewhere. You know, I have heaps of resources. Um, happy to chat anytime about that. Yeah, that's. Wonderful. Thank you. And yeah, if you are listening at home and you're like, but I'm going on this, I'm about to move for something and you guys didn't touch on this very key thing, uh, please email in to chroniclesofnania at gmail.com and I would love to get in touch with Stephanie or if I can answer it, I will or put you in touch with whoever you need to get in touch with. Um, I love helping. (laughs) So... (laughs) Feel free to email in, um, and that's very kind of you to offer up your help. Absolutely. Um, well, awesome. Is there is is there anything that you're sitting there thinking that we missed? No, I don't think so. But happy to answer any questions and and you know talk about any anything I've touched on more. Wonderful. Well, then we end each episode with a cute or funny story in Stephanie's route one. <laughs> yes. So as Martha mentioned, I'm, I'm in the depths of potty training my girl, who my nanny child, who's uh, two and a half. And so we did all the preparation of going out and getting the prizes and buying a bunch of underwear. And it just so happened that she really liked the designs of some of the boy Y front underpants. And so, um, you know, we, we got home, we put everything away and we're, we're potty training and it's about day three. And so we're in the underpants and, uh, she has a little brother. And so she's sitting on the potty. I'm like off to the side, tending to her, her brother. And, and she comes running off the potty and she's shouting, it has a pocket. (laughs) So cute. I also I feel the same way if I discover a pocket in a dress, I get that excited about it. So it's 
so true. It's so true. Pockets are so important to me. (laughs) Even if they are on your underpants. Even if they're on your underpants. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. This was wonderful. You're very welcome. And uh, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Chronicles of Nania is produced and hosted by Martha Reddick. Artwork by Noni Amadon. Theme music by Brad Kemp. Find him at secondbedroomstudio.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Chronicles of Nania and on Twitter at Nania Podcast. To contact us, email chroniclesofnania at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.